Today we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and we'll read our text in just a moment. We're continuing in our series, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? And uh, you see that this is uh, Seeking God. Well, this is a part one, and next week a part two. Two different passages entirely, but I want to talk with you about this whole matter of what it means to seek God. Now, I think it's possible that we have neglected the quest for the things that are most valuable in life and eternity. Uh, in fact, I think sometimes we've given way too much energy to the things, the, the things that are going to decay instead of the things that are going to survive throughout eternity. In the summer of 2017, a 53-year-old man named Jeff Murphy was hiking in Yellowstone National Park when he disappeared. The park investigators found his body on June the 9th and had discovered that Murphy had fallen over 500 feet to his death from Turkey Pin Peak there in the park after he accidentally uh, uh, stepped into a chute and fell to his death. But he wasn't on just any kind of hike, you see. He, he was looking for a treasure box of gold and jewels that was estimated to be valued at at least $2 million. It was buried somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, and it had been buried by an eccentric millionaire named Forrest Finn, I watched a documentary about Forrest Finn and this treasure hunt, uh, I don't know, several months back. And he was, uh, Finn was an, uh, a millionaire art dealer uh, from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, in his self-published memoir, he had included a poem that he said led to a treasure that he had hid in the Rocky Mountains. And people that read that and read that poem and then attempted to interpret it with its uh, hidden clues, went into a frenzy, uh, trying to find the treasure. It was a Romanesque uh, box. It was 10 by 10 inches. It weighed uh, fully loaded, about 40 pounds. And National Public Radio's John Burnett reported in 2016 that Finn has only revealed the fact that it was hidden in the Rocky Mountains somewhere between Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the Canadian border. He did say that it was not in a mine, it was not in a graveyard, and it was not near a structure. Now, the man who died that I just told you about, uh, he was one of five individuals that died looking for this treasure. And it was discovered, by the way, last year in, on June 6th of 2020. It was found in Wyoming. But by the time it had been discovered, it had literally involved thousands upon thousands of people who had engaged in this treasure hunt. In fact, some of them had left their families. Some of them had divorced their spouses. Some of them became a group unto themselves, and they would live in little tent communities in an area where people were investigating potential clues. It destroyed lives. It destroyed families. Finn later said, I never intended for it to do damage. I never intended for anyone to die from it. It was all meant to have, uh, for people to have uh, fun and a challenge. But isn't it amazing, as I watched that documentary and I read some articles about it, isn't it amazing what people will give their lives to and for? Isn't it amazing that people will spend their life and yield their life, destroy relationships, all for a treasure that will not last? And yet they'll give very little effort, very little energy to seek the things that do last. 
the things that last forever. That's why Jesus said, said, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrodes, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. We need to understand in this life what we really should seek. In the shortest parable in the New Testament, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to read it to you. The shortest parable in the New Testament, it's one verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells uh, all that he has, and he buys that field. The message of that brief parable is simple, and it is about seeking the kingdom of God and its value. It's about uh, what you give your devotion and your passion and your life to. And so for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk with you about seeking that which is most valuable, seeking God, knowing God, knowing the ways of God. Listen, nothing is more valuable to you than the quest to know God. So would you stand with me this morning as we read God's Word, beginning in verse uh, 1 of 2 Chronicles chapter 15. Listen to what the Scripture says. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Father, thank you for your word It's so relevant to the age in which we're living. And I pray this morning, God, that you will tune our hearts in to your Holy Spirit, that we will hear the message that you have for us. Now empty me of me. Father, speak through me. Let me be your messenger with your message. And Father, touch it with the Holy Spirit. Convict us, change us, challenge us transform us all with your powerful word, your presence, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, let me give you a little bit about this setting. The setting of this passage is on the heels of a miraculous victory over Zerah. Zerah was one of the enemies of Israel, and God had given Asa. By the way, Asa, just a footnote, is in the lineage, the birth lineage of Jesus. And God had given Asa this miraculous victory over Zerah and this amazing win uh, uh, over his enemy. And then God sends a messenger, Azariah, a prophet to him, 
when God falls upon the prophet and the prophet comes and he brings this message uh, to Asa and it's all about Israel and Israel seeking God and Israel returning fully to him. Now, Asa would take that message very seriously. He was one of the good kings of Israel. He would take that message seriously and he implemented great spiritual reformations on the basis of the prophet's words of what God wanted him to do. He would destroy idols. And listen, he would even remove his godless mom from political leadership. Think about that. I bet that set well with the family. And he would repair the altar of God. The altar of God had been, been destroyed, and he would repair it, and he would lead the people of God to seek God anew with all their heart and soul And so he brings this great reformation. And it is a reminder to it. By the way, when you read that passage, that passage could have come out of the newspaper right now, couldn't it? It sounds like where we are as a nation and and as a people. And the fact is, if we forget to seek God personally, then we will not seek him corporately. And it will eventually lead to our drifting away from worshiping God. And it will lead at some point to the defiance of his will. By the way, if God is just one of several things that you worship, you will eventually lose touch with the reality of who God really is. If he's just one of many things in your life that you worship, then at some point in time you will lose touch with who he really is in your life. Do you know... Uh, There's a lot of discussion and debate about uh, the church, the New Testament church, in the Roman era. You remember it fell under great persecution, but oftentimes what's not talked about is the reason that the, the, the church and believers fell under persecution in that first and second century was because they believed in the exclusivity of God Almighty, that there was one God. You see, Rome Rome was known for its pantheistic view, its many-God view, and and so it was not uncommon in a Roman province to find a street, a church street. Have you ever noticed how many church streets there are in America? A church street, and if you'll notice, there's a reason they called it church street. All down that uh, street are lots of churches, and Rome had uh, uh, church streets, and it would really be temples to all these different pagan gods. And Rome would have been fine if Christianity said, we'll just build our, our temple alongside all the other pagan temples. But the Christians said, we won't do that. Because our God is not one of the many gods. He is the God, and there is no other God. And that's what brought great persecution. They would not, listen, America... uh, The the Christians would not say, we'll just blend in and worship uh, what everybody else worships. We'll just worship, uh, we'll do our thing, you do your thing. So if God is just one of several things that you worship, you will lose touch with the reality of who God is. And so this story teaches us about seeking God. And I want to show you this morning a few things that I believe will help you to seek God afresh. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 2, seeking God is about your association with God. Notice verse 2, what, what, does the, what, what does God say through the prophet to Asa? He says, if you, I, I am with you if you are with me. 
The Lord is with you while you are with him. Remember, God's people have been spiritually corrupted through their acceptance and worship of idols. In fact, they had really uh, all but abandoned God. There was always a remnant, don't but that's why I, Azariah was there. There's always a remnant. And there always will be a remnant. But for, by and large, the church had, or, or the, the people of God and the worship of God had ceased to exist. And they were worshiping idols. They had all kinds of idols. And so the statement that's made here, the Lord is with you while you are with him, is about exclusivity. It's about seeking God and seeking God alone, not the other God. Now, Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament when he tells us, no man can serve two masters. And their problem was like our problem. They were willing to acknowledge Jehovah God as simply one of all the other gods, but they were also willing to seek a variety of false gods to assist them. This was their problem. And by the way, it is the modern-day problem. And, and in their case, they had all kinds of gods. They had all kinds of idols. They had idols and gods of fertility. They had gods of agriculture. They had gods of the weather. They had gods of material blessings. You name it, and they had a god for it, and they would devote themselves based on whatever their particular circumstance was or their particular need. They would worship that idol, or they would seek that idol. They would pray to that idol. And so against that, they had moved away from the one true God. They were associating themselves with false gods. And so God sends a message, and his message is that I am with you, but only if you are with me. I'm with you, but only if you're with me. So let me ask you today, do you have any gods that are competing with the God in your life? Do you lack a sense of power of the Spirit of God with you, is it possible that it is competing with other gods in your life? You just haven't named them. You just haven't identified them. There are other idols in your life, and they're competing with God. And God says this, I am with you if you are with me. Not, not I'm responsible to be with you regardless of who you're with. He says this is very exclusive. And, and so I ask you, do, is, is the God, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, is he competing with many other gods in your life? Let me share some observations with you about, about what it means, this association with God. Association with God is about proximity. Our staff knows that word well because I've used it many times with them in our staff setting, and, and that is that one of the most powerful things in your Christian life is going to be determined by your proximity to Jesus. How close you stay to God, how close you stay to Jesus. And I would argue that the more this world tears at your soul and tries to distract and divide your soul, the more important it is to stay close to God. If you want to know the way of God, if you want to know the will of God, you're going to have to stay close to God. You're going to have to spend, and I believe this is perhaps the, the, the most uh, significant way that you stay close to God, you're going to have to spend time with Him. That's, I mean, that's simple relationship, isn't it? If you want a dynamic relationship, 
with a friend, you've got to spend time with them. If you want a dynamic relationship with a spouse, you're going to have to spend time with them. There is no substitute for relationship health without time. We used to try to get by by saying, well, it's quality time. I don't have a lot of time, but the time I give is quality time. I want to tell you something. Uh, Think about a child. A child doesn't go, well, I, I haven't had a lot of time with my dad, but what I do have is quality. There's something about presence, isn't there? There's something about that. And there's something about us staying close to God. So get as close as you can. Spend time with Him. Listen to what David said in Psalms. He said, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your good works. How do you know what His good works are? You may just think you were lucky. Unless you stay near. It is good for me to stay near to God, David said. It's a statement that reflects a truth I share with you earlier in this series. And it is this, that God is inviting you to take his journey. He is not trying to join you in your journey. And And so association with God is about proximity. Association with God is also about presence. When we get near him... He is near us. Seeking God is our responsibility. We're told that throughout Scripture. Chase that idea, and you'll see that the responsibility to seek Him is ours. James says in James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. And you know, the the Scriptures teach us that God, you know this, Tim, is enthroned on our praises. The praise of his people, Psalm 22, 3 says, yet you are holy, you are holy, and then it says enthroned on the praises of Israel. Do you get it? Consistent worship of God leads and keeps us in the presence of God. And you need to be in his presence. Association with God, I will tell you also, is about priority. Note that that he is with you while you are with him in verse 2. You know know what that is? That is conditional. And and by the way, this is not about salvation. It's about relationship. It's, It's about the priority of God in your life. And the message of the prophet to Asa and the people was very simple. It was this. If they did not seek God, he would not favor them with his presence. He would not be them if he, uh, with them. He, if he were not priority, then he would not bring his favor. And now, he might discipline them, and he might leave them to their own ruin, but he would not go with them, and he would not favor them if he was not priority. So priority association with God is essential to seeking God, our association with God. Second, though, I want you to see that seeking God is also about your consideration of God. Now watch this, your consideration of God. He says in various verses, I've listed there for you, verse 2, verse 12, verse 15, we have this same idea. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now look, circle the word if 
Because if means that they needed to carefully consider their options, right? If you are with me, I am with you. But if you are not, I will not be with you. There are options involved. And if points, Jesus, God is pointing that out to them through the prophet. You've, you've heard this statement, be sure you read the fine print. Y'all have heard that before? How many of you read the fine print? Nancy reads the fine print. Uh, it's a rare thing, isn't it? I, I, I read about a woman who did just that. And the result was it netted her $10,000. A St. Petersburg, Florida company named Squaremouth hid the instructions for claiming the prize in, in the document that it issued to every, every travel insurance policy that it sold. The company, what they did, they planned to run the contest for an entire year, and they thought it was unlikely that anyone would notice the section titled in the fine print, It Pays to Read. And uh, it was on seven, the seventh page into the document somewhere of a 4,000-word document, uh, but they didn't count on a person actually reading it. And this high school teacher there in St. Petersburg, a self-described nerd, she said, I'm just a nerd. She said, <laughs> she said, I read all the terms, whether it's digital software agreements or travel insurance policy. She said, I read all the fine print. And so she printed out the policy, and she sat down to read it right away. And soon she came across a section that said, this is a contest that rewards the individual who reads the policy information from start to finish. Now listen, and then it says, if, if you are the first to contact us, you may be awarded the Pays to Read Contest grand prize of $10,000. She immediately responded back to them, and the next day she got a call to let her know that she had won the $10,000. The contest, which they had planned to run for a year, only ran for 23 hours because she read. But it says, if, if you are the first, then here's the result. That's just the way that word works. It is powerful, isn't it? And, and when it comes to God, don't overlook when you read the word if in relation to you and to God. Don't overlook it. A covenant is all often reflected in the words if. A covenant is if you, then this. It's like a contract. There was a beautiful wedding here yesterday afternoon. And in part of that are, are vows and commitments and ifs that two people make to it. I will do this. I will do this. It's a contract. It's a covenant. The Scripture tells us about a lot of covenants. God made a covenant with Noah. God made covenants with Abraham. God made covenants with Moses. God made covenants with David. God made covenants with Israel. The Scripture is full of if statements regarding you and your response to God. So seeking God must take into consideration 
the consequences, the if-then consequences, right? Now, I thought about this as I was studying our passage for the message today. There are two promised consequences spoken of here. Now, consequences, we always think, well, consequences, that's bad. But consequences are neutral. They're just the result, right? So consequences can be, can they be good, class? Yeah, of course they can, just as they can be bad. But here there are two promised consequences. Number one, there's the consequence of God, God's favoring promise. His favoring promise, isn't there? Did you see it? Did you see it in the passage? you see what he said? He said, if you are with me, what is his promise? I will be with you. That's a, that's a favoring promise. If you are with me, then I will be with you. That's a good consequence. Hello? Amen? Anybody here not want God with them? And so he says, if you are with me, and by the way, involved in that idea of being with me is the idea of pursuing him, not just kind of hanging around. It is that there's a dynamic in the relationship that you're seeking him, that you're pursuing him. And we know that because of the rest of the passage we'll talk about in a moment. So there's God's favoring promise. He will be, he will be with you. And listen, did you notice the, the extension of that? He says, and if you seek me, what? I will be found by you. Do you know that's not the only place in Jeremiah we, hear, we see the same thing? In Deuteronomy we see the, the same thing where God says, if you seek me, I will be found by you. That's a favoring promise. Hello? What a great promise. This isn't, God isn't, I mean, he's not trying to keep himself from us, is he? And then there is, secondly, there is the God's forsaking promise. So there's God's favoring promise. That's a positive consequence. And then there's the negative, God's forsaking promise. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The emphasis in the passage is that God wants his people to make the right choice. He wants his people to make the right commitment. God's not trying to trip you up. Uh, he's not trying to, uh, this isn't a cosmic hide-and-seek game, you know. God's not trying to trip you up. Uh, the, a lot of people died. You know that story I talked about, Finn's uh, treasure? There were people that died. There were people that lost everything. They quit their jobs. They just, they went nuts. But what is he, God's not saying, I'm, I've hidden something, and it's, I've hidden it so that the that vast majority of people never find it. No, he says, if you'll seek me, you'll find it, because I want it to be found. I want to be found by you. This isn't like the kids' game, hide and seek. With God, it, it goes like this. It, it goes, seek and find, not hide and seek. If you seek, you'll find. When our daughter, Karis, was young. She loved to play hide-and-seek. I guess all kids do. She loved to play hide-and-seek, and what she would do is she would, she would say, okay, Daddy, I'm going to hide, and then she, <laughs> she'd cover her eyes, and then she would say, come find me, and she's standing right there, and you know, I'd play along. I'd say, where is Karis? Where is Karis? And I'd walk around her, and she's giggling. <laughs> And she thinks because her eyes are covered and she can't see me, that I can't see her. Daddy, come find me. And sometimes I would just wait and, and wait and I'd just, 
I go sit down somewhere or something and just see how long it's going to take her to realize. But she'd say, Daddy, come and find me. Listen, that's kind of the way it is with God. If you look for him, you will have, I had no trouble finding her. If you look for God, God is standing there. God is more obvious than you know. He's there. Will you seek me? I've not put myself in a place that you can't find me. I want to be found for you. The, the, the responsibility is ours to seek him. Maybe, maybe you remember an old country song, Tim's looking for love in all the wrong places. Sing it for us, but no. Uh, I, I want to tell you, if you haven't found God, you're looking in all the wrong places because he's not hiding. He wants to be found. So let me ask you this morning, do you want more of God? You want more of God? If so, then take into consideration the fact, the fact that he wants to be sought and he will be found. But he waits for you. See, he's not going to force you to seek him. Now, he'll bring some things I'll show you. He'll give you some motivation. I'll, I'll talk to you about that. But what he wants you to do is he wants you to say, I'm, I'm going I'm to live for more of God. I'm going to live to know God. I'm going to seek him. And he says so right there in verse 12. Look down in verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. The, a covenant, by the way, we just talked. A, a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers. Look at it. How? With all their heart and with all their soul. This is serious stuff. And, but, but when God finds... When God finds a man or a woman that will seek him like that, they will find him because he wants to be found. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking one whose heart is wholly his, that he might strongly support him. Second Chronicles 16. That's what God says. You look for me, you will find me. Then third, I want to tell you that seeking God is about your motivation about your motivation to seek God. Look at verse 4 with me, uh, if you will, again. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. Did you notice it said, in their distress? Verse 5 says, in those times there was no peace to him who went out. And that means in the routine of life, everybody was in turmoil. Hello? For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. Hello? They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. God troubled them with every sort of distress. By the way, America, you want a prescription? Turn back to God. Christian, you want a prescription? Turn back to God. Proximity and presence and priority. What a powerful prescription and remedy. What is the motivation to seek God? Ask yourself, what does it take, take to cause you to run hard after God? What, what does it take that, that I hope you are, 
But if you're not, what does it take to move you to that, to run hard after God, to, to elevate God to the, the priority of your life? There was, as we said, there was brokenness, there was trouble, there was chaos. But if you think about it, listen, even in the midst of that, I want to tell you something. I thought, but God, in the midst of this, there's grace and love and patience, isn't there? Because God sends a message that says to them, I love you and I'll be with you if you'll be with me. I thought that, that's, a, that's a message in the midst of there's brokenness and chaos and turmoil and all of these things troubling. Uh, the, by the way, nation upon nation. And he says, but my grace says, if you'll just turn to me, I, I, you'll find me and I'll be there for you. I am what you need. And that's true of our life. But everything I read in Scripture it causes me to think there are essentially two primary motivations or two primary things that cause us to seek God. If you, if you can, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I think your outline says Deuteronomy 29, but I want you to turn to, it's 20, scratch out the 29, it's chapter 4. And I want you to look there with me at just a couple of verses. And these are instructions that God's people are being given. And they sound so much sim so similar to what we've just read. Listen, in verse 29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him. You will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And when you are in, when you are in tribulation and, and all these things come upon you in the latter days... You will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. There it is. And He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. So as I was working, I thought essentially there are two overriding motivations that cause us to seek God. And here's the first one. We are motivated by adoration. If you search for him with all your heart and soul, listen, this is more than just a religious pursuit. This is a passionate endeavor. Your heart and your soul has to be involved in the quest to know him. We put our heart and soul into to, to knowing God. I, look, that means I make adjustments in my life. I remember... I was sitting in an Old Testament class in college when a beautiful blonde walked in. She was frequently late because that was her mode of operation. <laughs> but that was good for me. And I remember when she walked in the class that something inside of me said, you need to, you, you need to meet this, this girl. And so I began, she didn't know at the time, she knows now, I began a quest to figure out how I could uh, meet this girl. And uh, I know it's hard for some of you to think, but I was very shy and introverted. And, and I mean that, I really was. And so I had to figure out, but, but I was crafty. And so I, I began to watch her. I didn't stalk her. I just watched. 
And um, it dawned on me that we had an, a, another class together. It was a, a math class, a statistics class. And so because she had a penchant for being late to class, I had an idea. And that is, I would beat her over, well, that wasn't hard. I would beat her to the class, and in this particular occasion, <laughs> I rearranged the classroom so that the only open seat would be the one in front of me. And sure enough, it worked because she came in late, and that was on, and it was right in front of me. And so it was there uh, that I, I met her and got to know her. And uh, it wouldn't take her long before she realized what a catch I was. <laughs> no, actually, she felt sorry for me. She thought, if I don't, if I don't go out with this guy, nobody ever will. <laughs> and, uh, but I tell you that story, well, and the rest is history. Hello? She's here somewhere this morning. And uh, she will tell you that that story is true. She didn't know I orchestrated all of that. Don't you think that's pretty clever? I mean, it brought me a wife. It's a pretty good thing. But listen, here's why I tell you that story. If you're in the pursuit of someone, you'll make adjustments in order to know that person. You'll find ways, right? You'll be driven by your heart. Listen. Is your heart driving you to pursue God? To say, God, there's some furniture I need to move in my life. There's a schedule I need to change in my life. Father, there are resources I need to adjust in my life because God, more than anything else, I want to know you. A heart for God and gratitude for God is a powerful motivator to know Him. David said in Psalm 70 and verse 4, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Why? Because they know you. And so we are motivated to seek God by our adoration, that is our, our passion to know Him. And secondly, we are motivated by tribulation. Did you notice it said here in verse 30, and when you are in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. We're motivated by tribulation, aren't we? And, and tragically, we are motivated too often by difficulty. It was the case in today's passage. If you go back to Second uh, Chronicles 15, verses 4 and 6, you see that they're going through tribulation and difficulty, and it seems to have helped cause them to listen to the Word of God and the voice of God and the prophet of God. Why is it that we have to have tribulation to, to move us back toward what is right? It is because tribulation and difficulty does something to us. It breaks our self-reliance, and it makes us aware of our inadequacies apart from God. 
That's why tribulation, unfortunately, is so effective in moving us back toward God because it, it, one of two things will usually happen. I've said it before. It'll either make you bitter or it'll make you better. It'll either move you to God or it'll move you away, further away from God. You realize that God does not want you depending on yourself. He wants you to depend on Him. He wants you to seek Him. I close by telling you a story about General Sir William Duby. He was a governor general of the island of Malta during World War II, and it was at a time when the small island's defense was at its darkest hour. The Italian forces had overwhelming superiority, both in numbers and in firepower. In fact, historians still cannot explain how Malta was able to hold out against the Italian military. But the answer to that might lie in General Duby's first special order of the day. Here's what he wrote when he took command of the island of Malta as its military leader. I quote, The decision of His Majesty's government to fight until our enemies are defeated will have been heard with the greatest satisfaction by all ranks of the garrison of Malta. It may be that hard times lie ahead of us, but however hard they may be, I know that the courage and determination of all ranks will not falter and that with God's help, we will maintain the security of this fortress. And then he concludes with this. I therefore call upon all officers and other ranks humbly to seek God's help and then in reliance upon God alone to do their duty unflinchingly. You understand what he said. We're in trouble. God is our only hope. Turn your eyes to Him. Seek Him and do your duty. So God uses tribulation. He uses it to train us. And he also uses it to turn us. He wants to turn our eyes to him, to grow us, and cause us to seek him. And this process has been repeated over and over and over in the lives of God's people. Not out of cruelty, but out of love and care. And so if we do not seek Him out of love and passion, He will allow tribulation to try to break our self-dependence and turn our hearts back toward Him, to turn us this process, and it is a process of love. All of us are going to seek something or someone. All of us. But you choose whether you seek that right someone. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to seek you first and foremost out of passion, out of, out of love for you.
the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let that be us. Let us seek you out of this passion to know you. Just as Moses said, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to know you. Lord, help us seek you because we love you. But Lord, there's a lot of tribulation out there. And there's a lot of personal tribulation in the lives of people who sit here or who are listening and watching by live stream and television. Lord, regardless of how that tribulation manifested, I pray that you will use it to turn hearts towards you, to seek you like never before. God, we want a move, a mighty move of God in our land, in our churches, in our lives. Father, it starts here. Our responsibility to seek you with all our heart and soul. I pray today, Father, that you will speak to hearts and souls, to those who do not know you, about their need to receive you. Whatever, Father, those who have wandered away need to hear and see in their soul in this moment, cause them to hear and see and cause them to seek you anew. Father, before we're gone, I pray that you would speak to hearts, countless hearts, hundreds of hearts that represent souls and people all over this nation and all over this globe, really. And right here in this room, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? Before we're gone, I want to invite you. Whatever the commitment is, you need to make to the Lord Jesus. If you've never trusted Him today, let this be that day for you. Would you slip out from where you're seated? Come here. Our staff will be on the aisles. Would you just come to one of them? Come to me and say, today, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. You may say, I've already done that. But you know, today what I need is I need a family to belong to. I want to tell you something. When times are tough, nothing is more valuable than the family of God. And maybe you need to join. Maybe you've never joined here. We want you to be a part of this family. Would you come and connect with this family? Maybe you want to come and kneel on this altar. Would you do that? Would you use that? You're praying about something, praying for someone. There's something going on in your life or the lives of others, and you want to kneel, you want to say, Jesus, I kneel before you. You come. As Brother Tim leads us, we'll sing on the first words of the first verse. Would you slip out balcony, ground floor, doesn't matter where you are, in the middle or on the aisles, just slip out, and you come on and seek God. Are you ready?